thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. this summer, this Father's Day, and I hope that you were greeted well by your kids. I challenge every kid in the world to greet their father and to love their father this week, and because of you dads, we wanted to pay special tribute to you, and so I grabbed a video, and this is for you dads. Today, we celebrate dads and everything that makes them awesome. Dads are men. Real men. They like their coffee black, their meat red, and their jeans blue. They're masters of the grill, the remote, and embarrassing their teenagers. They collect power tools like it's a hobby and think a vegan is something on Star Trek. But underneath that gruff exterior shell is a harder, gruffier shell. But underneath that shell is a warm, gooey soft spot that comes with being a dad. The part that makes him tear up at episodes of Extreme Home Makeover. Or become emotionally invested in his six-year-old daughter's soccer coach. And though he has the fashion sense of a tourist, he's always up for an impromptu fashion show starring his little princess. Dad brings home the bacon, eats the bacon, and thankfully doesn't do much of the bacon. You can fix anything with a can of WD-40 and a roll of duct tape, or a little advice at just the right time. So today we say thank you, Dad. Thanks for all the corny jokes and the fun times. Thanks for teaching us how to build stuff, hunt stuff, fix stuff, grow stuff, play stuff, and do stuff. But most importantly, thanks for teaching us who to be. We can never repay you for all you do, but at least we got you a new time. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. If you're around a dad this morning, we want to pray for you, and so if you're around a dad or... Maybe you just want to think of a dad. You can lay hands on your dad. And we're just going to pray a blessing over them. Father, we just love you so much. God, I thank you that you are our ultimate father, a father to the fatherless, a father that we love so dearly. And God, we thank you for our dads in here this morning. God, we thank you, God, for all that they do, all that they are. God, we thank you, Father, for sowing um, God into us and laying down a deep foundation. Father, we just pray you bless them today, that they would feel loved today, that they would feel celebrated today. And God, I just pray that you would constantly just move in them. Thank you for the spiritual fathers in our house. God, I thank you, Lord, that you are bringing spiritual fathers in this place. God, to love those who are without dads. Father, I thank you that you've done that. And so, Lord, we just thank you for these dads. Bless them in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, amen. Well, we love you, dads. I hope that you feel loved and encouraged this morning through that video or through a prayer or through a word of encouragement. We've been in this series, Disciple. It's been our series um, uh, last few weeks. It'll be our series all summer. We're going to be in camp out here. And two weeks ago, I, I made a plea that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you claim to follow Jesus, I actually have you raise your hand, which excluded everybody who may be seeking Jesus but not necessarily following him or maybe those who are sitting in this place and, and don't want anything to do with Jesus but you're coming to make your wife or your husband feel good and I, I applaud that and so so this summer is not a summer necessarily directly for you 
In fact, I've said it over and over, it's okay for you to be a spectator. It's okay for you to actually see what this is about. But discipleship and being a disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is somebody who is a follower of Jesus who's growing in three relationships. You're growing in relationship with God. You're growing in relationship with other believers. And you're growing in relationship with those who don't know Jesus. You're growing in three different relationships and it's really my hope in here that after this summer there would be some clear expectations of what is a disciple, what are you called to do. You would have deeply in you that definition, and I believe that is what Jesus, the mission, and what we're called to do. My whole life, everywhere I go is gospel-centric. Everywhere I go is gospel-centered, meaning wherever I go, the gospel shines and it comes out of me, or it should. And, and it, it's why I do so many things. We have a campus ministry region retreat, uh, or a retreat, planning retreat. Last Friday was a great time. Austin Fontenot, Elisa Luevano, who's up here, who's, who's helping uh, pave the way for our campus in Chantal. Marithi and I, we all had this planning retreat, and no planning retreat is good without sugar, right? You need sugar and the Holy Ghost. If you have both of those, you're going to be set. And so we stopped by Walgreens. I take Austin to Walgreens, and Austin hasn't done many of these retreats, so I'm trying to explain to him the rule of the land. You try to get as many gummy bears and M&Ms as possible. You eat them all up, and then all of a sudden your mind starts creating. It's amazing. Have any of you done that before? You should try it. Whenever you're planning your family vacation, just, just stop by the store. It's a great excuse to eat M&Ms. So we're sitting there at Walgreens, and we're in the checkout line. And as I often do, I approach people, and I start a conversation. I, I, the, the cashier said, hey, next. I come up there, and she says, how are you? And I said, I'm doing well. How are you doing today? She says, I'm fine. She says, this is a lot of sugar. I go, it sure is. Let me tell you what we're doing with this sugar. You see, we're going to eat this sugar as fast as possible, and then we're going to plan for our region retreat because we believe strategically in planning for the campus. And I began to share with her what we do. And I said, hey, I'm actually a pastor and I go to Luminous Church. Do you go to church anywhere? It was a perfect setup. And she goes, no, I, I actually don't, but I go here sometimes. How many of you ask somebody if they go to church anywhere? Everybody identifies typically with a church, especially in the South. Doesn't mean they're necessarily involved in in a brief moment, I said, well, that's great. I'm glad you go somewhere. But if you don't have anywhere you call church home, you don't have a church family, we would love for you to come to Luminous Church. I carried these invitation cards. I gave her an invitation card. I said, Sandra, it's so nice to meet you. My name is Ben. This is Austin. And we would love to see you at Luminous Church. I do this. I unashamedly do this wherever I go. You see, I have an agenda in relationships. I said this two weeks ago. Whenever I meet somebody, I'm meeting them to bring them into a relationship with Jesus. It's, it's why I meet people. I, I, I'm not ashamed of it. Everybody I meet, I want them to know the gospel. I want them to know a gospel. And in a brief moment at a checkout line, I'm not talking to Sandra for hours because the people behind me would get mad. And therefore, the gospel would actually, actually be bad. But in a moment of 10 seconds, I am able to invite her to church where maybe she would come on a Sunday morning. The number one place people are looking for God in America is on Sunday morning church. 
And so number one place that when you want to know God, you end up going to a church down the street, down the road, or the church that you're connected with relationally. And so this is what I begin to do. In, in these few moments, I'm able to invite her that she may come on a Sunday morning and may hear the gospel. In 10 seconds, it's really hard for me to convey the gospel, and so I'm praying that she comes. And actually, many of you are sitting in here because you encountered Ben Chapman out of Starbucks or at an office complex or somewhere else, and I gave you a card, and I said, hey, I love you, I believe in you, and I want you to know Jesus. Come check us out. It's what I do, and it's what Paul instructs. In Corinthians 9.19, it says this, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. I'm not satisfied with just one person. Verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Verse 21, to those outside the law I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That I may share with them in its blessing. Paul modeled this. He had an agenda anytime he met somebody. The agenda was the gospel. It was Jesus, that they would know him, that they would know Jesus, and that they would come into a relationship with him. Every time I meet somebody, it's to introduce them to a new relationship. And that's not just with me, but it's with Jesus. You know, an average person can only maintain 150 relationships. On average, you can't maintain more than 150 relationships. Most people would say you can't maintain more than 50 relationships, and most people won't have more than closer or close relationships more than five. You won't have more relationships than that, and, and there's no way if you keep bringing people to yourself, you're just going to run out of space. And so I bring people to Jesus over and over again, and I look what Jesus did, and Jesus did the same thing. 2,000 years ago when he came on the scene and he walked this perfect life, he, he came on the scene and he started loving people. He started loving people just like you and me. In fact, Jesus, you know what he was often referred to as? A friend of Sinners. A friend of sinners. He, he often found himself around sinners, and that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to love and befriend and show sinners that there was hope in himself. At the time that Jesus was on the scene, there's a huge religious culture. The temple, the temple is growing. There's, there's over a million Jews. There's so many people, and, and God talk is all around there's so many things happening. And Jesus came into the scene. He was anointed. He was full of wisdom. He was healing. There were miracles making claims that he is the son of God. And he, would, he loved the temple. He loved the house of God. He loved, he loved the people of God. In fact, there were many times that he would find himself in the temple. Hanging out there loving Jesus. Loving God. He would do this oftentimes. And... Jesus had an agenda, it was relationships. And point one in Luke chapter five, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Luke chapter five. If you have your Luminous Church app, it will be up there as well or on the screen. But if you wanna take notes, feel free to do that this morning. 
The thing that drives us into relationship most with Jesus is astonishment. It's when we find ourselves astonished by what he does and who he is. In Luke 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boats. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out to the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down my nets. In catching people, this is a side note, in catching people, when you're trying to catch people in your own strength, in your own effort, when you're trying to do it on your own accord, it is exhausting. Have you ever tried to love people and you try to do it in your own strength? For the introvert, it's even more exhausting. Verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. O Lord, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Astonishment. It's what we call, oftentimes, a revelation of Jesus. And for those who are in Christ, have all had a revelation of Jesus. It's when you're astonished, it's actually when you get silent and start to listen. It's when you're astonished, it's actually when you begin to see Jesus in a new light. As a campus minister two and a half years ago, I was on the junior college in Midland, Texas. I was at Midland College with my friend Will Basom, and we would oftentimes go on the campus and we would do the God test with people. We would go and ask them 10 questions of, of what they believed about God, and then we would pray with them, leaving them with more Jesus. Well, on this particular day, Will and I just went and prayed all over the campus, and we shared the God test with many people. We were actually on our way home, and I saw a young gentleman in the distance. He was sitting on the curb, and I told Will, hey, let's go talk to that guy. Will and I went up to this guy, and we began to engage him. Hey, how are you doing? My name's Ben. My name's Keith. Keith was an incredible young man, large in stature, and, and looked like an amazing young man. We began to share with him the gospel through the God test and began to ask him if he ever made a decision to follow Jesus. Keith admittedly, openly, authentically said, no, I had not ever made a decision to follow Jesus. In that moment, we were able to pray with Keith. And that day, Keith found Jesus. To me, it was a simple act. To me, it was just another conversation. I've been having those conversations all day. And as I have these conversations, it's just another conversation to me. But for Keith, it was a little bit different. This past Easter, he shared his testimony with the church that we were with. And in this story, as Keith was sharing his story, he began to describe this moment in Midland College. This moment when two guys came up to him and they began to do the God test with them. They began to share the gospel with them. 
And little did we know that what Keith was really struggling with. You see, Keith was much like Peter, much like Simon said, I am, I am a sinner. I am jacked up. I am messed up. And these guys would have not known it, but, but I was messed up. And that week, Keith was actually planning to commit suicide. That particular week, that particular day, he was thinking about suicide. And that particular day, in that particular moment, Jesus used us to bring his astonishment to Keith. It's amazing how God works. God works in amazing ways, and you just never know how he's going to work. But until a revelation of Jesus happens, do you really sit there quiet and get saved? And I didn't know that Keith was crying out for this, but he was. In verse 10, it says this in chapter 5. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. The idea that a fisherman could do anything else other than fish was astonishing in itself. Jesus oftentimes used this analogy to talk about fishing for men. It could be because of the 12 apostles, seven of them are believed to be fishermen. And so maybe this was the way that he was going to relate to them. Or maybe he just knew fishermen. Maybe he knew fishermen were hardworking. Maybe he knew fishermen would go out into the water. Maybe he knew fishermen had faith because every day they had to believe that they were going to catch fish. And their reliance wasn't on themselves, but on something greater. I don't know why, but Jesus begins to use this analogy over and over again. In verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Jesus. Jared did an amazing job last week, didn't he? I don't know if you heard Jared Gallardo's message, but he did a great job on following Jesus. I thought he was, it was an amazing job. It is costly, and there is some, some aspects of it. Man, the gospel is powerful, and it, it requires you to not clean yourself up, just come as you are, and the gospel will transform you. But in doing that, you're called to something. So as you're called from something, you're called to something, and that something is relationship with Jesus. It's so amazing. As we sit here and astonish, and there's a revelation of Jesus, and you and I have been called to a revelation of Jesus, there's an aspect where we need to stay with the fishing guide. We need to stay with the fishing guide. Guides are amazing, aren't they? Guides are amazing. I love, I love going to tour something. I love following the tour guide. You, you learn so much about things when you follow the tour guide. The other, uh, a couple years ago, we were in Virginia, and we went out into the bay in Newport News over there. And we went out in the bay, and we went bay fishing. And, and if I were to bay fish and I were to rent a boat, I would park it somewhere in the middle, and, and I would throw out a fishing line, and I probably wouldn't catch much. Have any of you gone fishing and not caught anything? It's like the, the, the most depressing thing in the whole world. It's like, why am I in here? What's the point of this? But this guy, Matt, he knew exactly where to go. He, he knew that it was going to be really hard for a new beginner to catch a shark or something like that, which would have been so cool. So he took me to this little fishing spot where we caught croaker fish. And there we, we just put in our reel and, and something would bite right away. It was the most amazing feeling. How many of you have caught fish before? 
It, it's, it's an adrenaline rush, you know, because the string starts, starts moving and you get really excited. Your heart starts beating. You start reeling and, and this fish comes up and it's incredible. Man, I love, I love fishing with a guide because I catch more fish. I think oftentimes, though, we lose sight of the guide. We lose sight of the guide for many reasons. Maybe, maybe you, we're just tired of the guy. You ever been tired of the guy? Like, this guy, I'm just kind of tired of him. Nothing's really happening. Maybe, maybe we, we just dropped our eyes away from the guy. Squirrel. Maybe, maybe we, we, we started looking at something and, and we started just dropping our eyes away and walking off and we look up and we're wondering, where is the guide? Maybe we thought we knew more than the guy because we were in history 101. Fishing 101. Maybe we thought we knew more than the guy. But I want to tell you, the guy always knows best. And I believe that's for you. Jesus always knows best. These bunch of fishermen in John chapter 21. They were, they were fishing for men, and as they were fishing for men, they went out. And as they went out, they lost sight of the guide. And they were wondering what they were doing, and they were wondering where they were going. And in John chapter 21, they just returned to what they knew. And in verse 5, they were out there fishing again, and, and they were throwing nets all day, catching nothing. And then in verse 5, Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Jesus knows how to fish. He is the guide, and he also knows where the fishing hole is. The fishing hole. It's one of the most important parts of fishing. My friend Keaton loves to fish. I can't wait till Keaton moves back to San Antonio. Because he's going to take me to all the best fishing spots. You know, he's the guy who goes fishing, and he knows exactly where to go. And he has these fishing holes all around San Antonio. And so I'm excited to go with Keaton, and I dare not to go out by myself because I don't want to be depressed. I'd rather go see a movie or something like that. And so Keaton knows exactly where the fishing hole is, and it's no different to Jesus. He knows exactly where the fishing hole is. He knows exactly where to throw your nets. God's going to give you a fishing hole. He wants to give you a place where you can go fishing. He wants to give everybody a place where you go fishing. Everybody say me. Me. Everybody say me one more time. Me. He wants to give you a place to go fishing. There's been a CrossFit craze in our church lately. It's, it's ridiculous. Everybody's on paleo diets and they're getting jacked. And people I knew six months ago I don't even recognize today because they're walking around swollen. That's why Stephen needs massages because he's working out too hard. Thank you, Francie. And, and this CrossFit craze is going all over, all over. It's going luminous global. And if you haven't caught it yet, I'm sure you're going to catch the fever. In fact, I started doing a, a couple crunches. 
in my bed right before, right before I get up and get ready for work. But you see, this CrossFit craze happened because a man moved here and he said, you know, Jesus is calling me to catch fish. He said, I don't really have a fishing hole. I don't know where to catch fish. So he started praying about it, started seeking the Lord, and he joined a CrossFit gym. There he started pouring into the CrossFit gym, going every day. Now he doesn't look the same. He's jacked. And not only is he jacked, he's now meeting with the CrossFit owner of the CrossFit gym. And they're talking about Jesus every week. And so as he was going, he found a fishing hole. And that's what God does over and over again. That God has fishing holes for you and me. As Brandy and I were in Midland, Texas. We love Midland. I, I, was, I was raised in Midland for 30 years. I love West Texas. I love the dry heat. I love the dirt. When, when the wind blows, all of a sudden your teeth look brown. It's amazing. I love it. The people are amazing. That's what they say, and the skies are amazing, and I'll attest to that. But as we're sitting there, we're in Midland, we're making an impact, and our ministry is growing, and campus is growing. We started getting a heart and a burden for a city, and we started praying two years ago, three years ago for a city. And we believed that God was calling us to a different fishing hole. We believed that there was people in a different fishing hole that needed to be caught. As we began to pray for the city and think about the city, we started praying for our family that were in the city. We started praying for them by name. And when we came, we started loving them and started being around them and started inviting them. And I'm so thankful that my aunt, Oralia, is here who got baptized this year because we decided, hey, God's calling us to a different fishing hole. And we came to this fishing hole in San Antonio, Texas, and we were able to love a woman who deserves so much love but more importantly, deserves to know the hope of Jesus Christ. God's calling you to fishing holes. Some of you, it's your cubicle. Some of you, it is the grocery store. For some of you, it's your Mother's Day Out program. For some of you, it's the beach. For some of you, it may be the gym. Wherever it is, God is calling you. And as God calls you, it's time to go fishing. You know, if you were to know about the fishing hole and talk about the fishing hole, and you would say, man, this fishing hole is awesome. The fish bite like crazy in this fishing hole. This fishing hole is great. And you would talk about it, but you would never go and throw in a hook. You'd be missing out on so many blessings and so many promises. It's why Proverbs 11.30 says, he who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. There are great ways for you to fish, and God's going to give you amazing ideas, amazing conversations. You're going to be the bridge. You're going to be the bridge to unity and the bridge to community with those who are outside of it. And Jesus is going to use you in so many ways. And in conclusion, as Tyler comes up and helps me close this out, or not Tyler, because he left, but I'll close this out. I think as you're a bridge for people, and you're a bridge in your community, and you're a bridge in your workplace, and you're a bridge wherever you go. Come on up, Tyler, come help me. I need some help. 
As you're a bridge, wherever you are, I want to encourage you that ultimately there was a bridge for you. There was a man 2,000 years ago who was a friend of sinners. There was a man 2,000 years ago who taught us how to fish for men. There was a man 2,000 years ago who lived a life that you and I couldn't live. It was a perfect life. And he died an unjustly death that you and I deserve because we're jacked up. And he died a death and took our punishment upon the cross. And he did so, so that we could have life and life to the full. He bridged the gap, not just because he died, he bridged the gap because he rose. And if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, then our preaching and our life and this community would be in vain. But because Jesus said, did what he said he would do, we were, we have hope. There's two questions I challenge you with this week. Two questions. Two steps. One, when's the last time you had dinner with a non-believer? When's the last time you had dinner with a sinner? When's the last time you had dinner with somebody who doesn't know Jesus? The second question, where are your intentional non-church friendships? Where are your intentional non-church friendships? Is it your workplace? Is it your block? Is it a gym? Is it some extracurricular activity? Is it being a coach for your kid's soccer team? I think it's questions that we need to ask ourselves. And if you can't answer those questions, I would encourage you, don't beat yourself up. Because I've been there. When you're on staff with the church for 10 years, there's a big bubble around you where the only people you know are people who are saved. And what I want to do is I just want to pop the bubble for you today. That we are to follow Jesus. And we are to fish for men. If you would stand with me this morning. At Luminous Church, it's our heart that we would exist to release our resources. That's our time, our talent, our treasure. Everything that God has equipped us with to reach the campus and the community and I believe the world with the light of Jesus Christ. And we want to constantly equip you to do this. And one amazing way you can do this is to be a bridge for people. On your way out, we're gonna be handing out baseball tickets. Baseball tickets. And we're gonna invite a bunch of people to come to the baseball game with us. And I'm gonna grab one for my wife and one for me and then I'm gonna grab one for my neighbor. And I'm going to ask my neighbor, and he'll probably reject me, so then I'll go have to ask my other neighbor. And I'll probably knock on four houses before somebody comes with me. But I'm believing that God's going to use us to reach people. And when they get around the community Saturday night on the baseball bleachers, they're going to see how you love each other so well. They're going to see how you do life together and, and why, why, 
can different ethnicities get along so well in different generations? It's because of what Jesus has done for us. You're going to be a bridge, and I believe that you will be. Let me pray for you. Father, we just love you this morning. We praise you this morning, God. I pray that, Lord, in our Disciples series, a series that is challenging and and God, it's challenging to the core, God, of, of, of do, are we really counting the cost of what it is to follow Jesus? And God, I'm an introvert, and how will I love somebody and reach out to somebody? But Lord, I just pray that you would make us a church that fish for men. Lord, that you would give us relationships. We thank you for what you're doing today. God, thank you for being our father and our dad. Happy Father's Day to you, God. You're amazing. We love you today. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need